Welcome to It's All About the Story, grief stories that connect us. This podcast takes you into the lives of people who have gone through loss and have come out the other side to experience joy again. Each story is someone's lived experience and reveals how wrestling with grief can turn loss into wisdom. You might even find some of these insights helpful in your own grief journey. Come, meet the people like yourself who have experienced loss and who now openly share their story with us. And now, here is your host, Rick Berg. Well, welcome everybody to Tell About the Story. It's great to be together once again. My name is Rick Berg, and I'm your host. And uh, continuing in our series of wonderful stories to hear about people's loss, difficult as they are, but hopeful of gains too. Um, you know, I, I was just thinking that, uh, just talking to our guests briefly before uh, we, we got on the program here, I think this is the first program I've uh, recorded with a widower. And Reg Harvick is a widower. Um, I wanted to bring him on to share his story a little bit. He lost his wife at 47 years of age. Reg also was 47. A uh, son who was 18, a daughter who was 20. And I wanted to get his perspective on um, his early grief experience, also what the journey has been like for him during the last 10 years, and also how he chose with his children to honor his wife after 10 years, the anniversary being this past Monday. So just really good, Reg. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rick. You know, Reg, I. It, Talking to you before uh, the podcast, I was just awestruck by your story. And, uh, you know, as a grief counselor, um, many people come into my office and they have this, um, I don't know if you call it a need or a a desire to somehow um, connect with that person who has died very quickly following the loss. Mm -hmm. Uh, Many who grieve, I think, are looking for signs that the person who has died is kind of still with them in, Mm -hmm. in some way. And um, I'm just wondering, curious, how did you experience this following the death of, of, uh, of, of Monica? So it's, it's interesting. Um, now, I, I happen to be a Catholic, and so I, I subscribe very closely to the Catholic teachings on, on all these things. And, and what that meant was, uh, uh, see, before she died, she was unconscious, unconscious in the hospital for three days. And, um, and so one of the things that we did, actually, is we had saints, both living and those who have gone before, praying for us. Uh, and so uh, one of the saints we actually asked to pray for, he hadn't been canonized yet, was St. John Paul II, um, you know, because he was somebody really important to us, because she had a Polish background, and he, of course, was Polish. Mm-hmm. But we asked a lot of people, both in this life and the next, to pray for us. Uh, and so then when she did pass on, um, it, it, was, it, it was sort of really interesting to, uh, to have uh, the, this sort of communion of the saints, as, as we call it, experience. Uh, and, and so on the one hand, it was... It was not wanting to claw her back from the next life so much as wanting to to feel that assurance that you know things had turned out okay for her. And it was so funny because we had this wonderful experience of a very close friend of hers had a vision of her within the hour that she passed away, uh, where she basically was just glowing and smiling and saying, "I'm free," you know. And so we were told that a couple of days after it happened. In fact, it ended up uh, being told. The story was told as part of the um, the prayer service the night before the funeral. That person told that story to everybody what they'd seen, um, and so. 
you know, in so many ways, then the experience of her was not simply an experience of her being close. Although, of course, you know, I, I mean, I had dreams where she seemed very much real in those dreams. But at the same time, that those were almost secondary compared to the experiences of, of assurances of, of things. And so um, one, one really good example, well, two examples I'll give you. The one is uh, when we were looking for a place to bury her, we, we uh, let the word be known to the graveyard uh, beforehand that her father had passed away just a few years earlier. We wanted to see if we could bury, bury her near her parents' gravestone. And so we meet with this guy and he's got this shock look on his face. And he says, this never happens. The spot right next to her parents' spot was available. And uh, her parents' spot was a double deep, and this one was a double deep. And so her mom is still around, by the way. Um, and so um, her dad was buried there, and so we were able to bury her right next to her parents. And so we got these these twin headstones, and they they even have like a you know a, a flower flower vase on one and a candle holder on the other, and you know, the same shape and everything. Uh, they got both names, and uh, so you know it was, it was neat. And so her mom even observed. She said, you know, it'll be like we're holding hands. You know, now that said, her mom is, is uh, still gone 10 years and she's now, you know, mid 90s and, and uh, still waiting. I think probably not in a hurry for that to happen, uh, partly because one of the great consolations that came from this was that my son ended up living with his Polish grandmother after you know traveling the world a little bit. And so I think he and she have been just really good for each other and they've both been much healthier for it. But the other story that I wanted to share with you, um, and there's a whole bunch like this, uh, was I went to a conference a month after she passed away. This is a conference that I go to twice a year. Uh, it happened to be in Atlanta. And uh, the um, uh, and again, you know, I, I practice a lot of Catholic practices. And one of the Catholic practices that I practice is praying the rosary every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, for those who are familiar with the rosary, there's four sets of what are called mysteries, basically parts of, of the life of Christ. So the, the joyful mysteries, which are typically prayed on a Monday and on a Saturday, uh, tell the story of the uh, Annunciation by the Angel Gabriel, followed by uh, the visitation of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth, followed by the Nativity of Christ, followed by his presentation at the temple, followed by finding him in the temple as a 12-year-old. Then the, there's a set of mysteries that were just recently introduced, or as the other ones go back about a thousand years or so. Um, and the, they're called the luminous, and they are talking about the, the life of Christ. And so they start with the baptism of Christ, and then the, turning the water into wine in Cana of Galilee, uh, then the ministry proclaiming the, the good news, then the transfiguration, and finally the, um, uh, the, the institution of the Lord's Supper, the, the Last Supper. And then there's two more sets. There's the Sorrowful Mysteries, which talk about the Passion of Christ, and the Joyful Mysteries, or sorry, the Glorious Mysteries, which talk about the resurrection and everything that happened after that. So anyway, so I arrived at this conference on a Thursday, and uh, I get to my hotel room, and there's a red velvet pillow on the bed. Well, if you look at the memorial site, you'll see one of the pictures shows me next to Monica with her holding a red velvet pillow. And I bought that for her as a sign of something I told her many years earlier, which you feel insecure. I said, look, everything you tell me, I put on a red velvet pillow. You know, I just need to know that everything she said was that important to me. And so I get to this hotel room and there's a red velvet pillow on the bed. So anyway, so I'm in the hotel room and it's Thursday. And uh, and so it's like 3 p.m., which is, uh, you know, sort of that's the time that Christ died. So that's, you know, a really whole time, holy time if you're going to pray. Um, and so I'm, I'm praying the, the uh, uh, Luminous Mysteries. And I, I get to the uh, wedding feast of Cana in Galilee, and there's a knock on my door. And it's a hotel staffer who brings me a, uh, a, a bottle of water. But what's interesting is the brand of the bottle of water, because the brand was Aquapanna. Well, Aquapanna is either Latin or Italian for, you know, water from Panna. But uh, it was probably a place. But panna in Polish means of Our Lady. And so aqua panna, as read from a Polish person who also spoke uh, Latin, would be water from Our Lady, which is exactly that mystery, the, the uh, you know, Cana and Galilee. 
you know, and so, and, and just a whole bunch of, you know, little things like that. And so none of them was exactly a feeling of her physical presence. Um, although there's still little bits and pieces, like, you know, she used to touch my ear and every so often I feel like my ear was being touched, you know? Um, and so there was sort of that sense, but generally it was, it was just, you know, little things that, that just were suddenly so meaningful that, that couldn't be explained as somebody having deliberately done it. You know, they, they just kind of came out of the blue and, and just added meaning to what was nonetheless a really, really hard journey. But, but in some ways, you know, you know, cause that's the thing is you can't take away the pain of grief. You can only bring meaning to it. And, and that's, I think that's important for the same reason that, you know, they say the greatest pain anybody experiences is childbirth. And yet it's also the most meaningful thing. And that's why people keep doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so likewise, we recognize that grief is a form of birth as well. And also very painful. Yeah. So I, that's sort of a long answer to your question. But. Well, it's great. I mean, I, I, I've heard some of these stories from others and, and, and some of the stories I've heard from others who come into my office, um, you know, others have kind of, you know, poo-pooed <laughs> the idea to put a blood, they kind of say, oh, come on, that's, uh, you know, that's just ridiculous. These appearances mm-hmm. are maybe just coincidental or you've made them up mm-hmm. or imagined and, and good for you. But, you know, I guess I'm wondering, you know, um, you know, we need to, we need to honor those uh, events, I guess, mm-hmm. in people's lives and see them spiritually or mysteriously or, or, or something that happens that because we need it in our life. And, and mm-hmm. so how do you, you know, how do you explain that to people? I mean, I'm, I'm sure people have kind of said to you, well, but maybe they haven't, but I mean, are these really true? Or, I mean, did you just kind of, you know, did you manufacture them? Did they, you know, were they created by our own, you know, what do you say from your own worldview to people? Well, you know, I, I have found that the explicit rejection of faith requires much more faith than the acceptance of apparent meaning, you know, and we have to be careful not to strain to superstition, you know, right. although I, I, I take issue with Stevie Wonder's assertion that it, believing in something you don't understand is superstition, because that makes quantum physics superstition. Niels Bohr, after all, said, you never really understand quantum physics, you just get used to it. Right. Well, that's true of the most meaningful things in life. And so it's sort of interesting that part of science then is finding the meaning in the apparently chaotic and that that is, you know, we're built to believe and find that. And that's not, you know, that's not just random chance or we would never have technology. You know, uh, technology is a manifestation of there actually being meaning we found there. Um, and so likewise, you know, as, as we take a life of, of meaning, that, that journey of, of discovering meaning, that um, it's quite often just with scientific discoveries, you know, I mean, take a look how long it took for people to stop rejecting, you know, things like the plants and that, that sort of thing. So in all these, these discoveries of meaning, people typically uh, assert their faith of meaning isn't there because that's a really strong faith that a lot of people have that there either can't be anything there because partly we can't handle that much meaning, you know, and so I think that's a big part of the human journey. But I think for those of us who see that meaning, then it's just our obligation to live according to that meaning and not act like it's not there. It's almost like if you're not open to these experiences, you miss out on something. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, I think a lot of people are busy winnowing out excess meaning in their lives because they can't handle all that meaning. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, it's it's interesting. I was thinking back on, on some of the stories that people have told me, you know, all about a butterfly, you know, coming into their life at the right time or, a, mm-hmm. or an event or, um, yeah. you know, even my, you know, even myself, uh, you know, my daughter, um was going to get married uh and uh, of course her mom wasn't around for that event mm. uh you know, physically um you know and, and she told me a story about uh going to choose her wedding dress and i wasn't with her she took uh, uh her sister with her and a couple friends 
and uh, they were trying on dresses, a number of them, and they got to this one, and uh, my daughter said that she felt like this, the hand of her mom just kind of touched the dress. Mm. And it was like, she said, this is the one, mm. you know? And, you know, some people again would say, well, that's kind of ridiculous. You know, with your kosher emotional, yeah. you're making make things up. But I'm going, well, no, if that's, I mean, why couldn't, why couldn't these things happen? I guess from a spiritual yeah. from a God perspective, I mean, God is bigger than, than, than understanding or science. And why couldn't he give us what we need mm -hmm. that we can't understand? From a, and more to the point, give us in a way that we are able to receive it. And I think that's part of the issue is, you know, I mean, if I have a conversation with somebody and we have a history, we can say very abbreviated things and know what we're referring to, you know, because we understand we have a shared context. If I have a conversation with a stranger, I have to explain a lot of things. So, you know, when God's talking to us, God's talking to all of our history with God, you know, and, and likewise, any, any loved one who he allows to reach out to us in some sense, you know, that we have that shared history and that meaning. Other people don't have that understanding of just how profound something is and trying to explain it to them, you know, may not be a fruitful activity in a lot of cases because they have this firm belief it's not possible just because of the implications, if it were. Yeah, that's right. You know, there's this concept that, that uh, I think, you know, we'll talk, I think we can talk about this because I think exactly what you're talking about is the difference between, uh, in the grief world, anyways, between sense-making and meaning-making. Mm. You know, there's some things mm -hmm. in life that you just can't make sense of, no matter how hard right. you try. Yes. But uh, when you begin to make meaning, and how that comes mm. in a lot of different forms, then your life begins to take on uh, a mystery a little bit. Uh, and yes. of course, this comes out of Victor Frankl's work on search for meaning, mm. where he understood that in suffering, you know, uh, we do become new and we do have a new sense of what life could be and the meaning that exists in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so I, I guess I'm a little bit curious to your journey. Um, you know, it's been, you know, it's been um, 10 years. Um, you know, grief is just some suffering and grief. Was loss and grief. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, when I talk to you, it seems to me that you've been on a little bit of journey of making meaning. Would that be fair? And what, how would that manifest in your life? Yeah, and I, I really love the contrast you point out between making sense and making meaning. Because quite honestly, ten years later, I'm still not able to make sense of a lot of things that happened. Um, you know, and and my response initially to that, the grief I experienced was so vast and overwhelming that it manifested as physical pain. You know, it was, it was like I had a giant basketball of physical pain in my abdomen for two straight years. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, so people, are, of course, always, if they're not the one grieving and say, have you gotten over it yet? Uh, but, you know, I'm part of a few, you know, including a Facebook grief book, uh, grief group called Hope uh, Hope Heroes in Grief, I think it's called, um, that, you know, where, where we talk about, you know, what does that mean? And, and part of my conclusion, and also because every so often a friend of mine on Facebook will post that somebody they care about has passed away, you know, and if somebody really close to them, I'll say, you know, that relationship you have with them is now manifesting as grief. But over time, you'll come to recognize that that grief is not merely a dull pain. It is really the fact that that relationship hasn't gone away, that it's still there, but you're experiencing it as unrequited, you know? And so they, they have that intense experience of the, the grief because you're still actually experiencing the relationship. And over time, you know, it's, it's a little bit like the sound of silence, you know, it's only it's hello grief, my old friend, because I, I recognize 
that that grief is actually just the relationship with this person who will never cease to be part of me, but has utterly changed very much like a phantom limb pain, except that over time you can give it meaning or find meaning in it as, as you come to terms of a new relationship with that person, as you come to, to cherish what you take with you from your memories and um, perhaps some keepsakes, but also as you move forward in your life. And, and interestingly, and I'm still doing this uh, is discovering how letting go is not actually rejecting. You know, um, that the the hardest thing initially, in some ways, is the fear of losing that person again somehow by letting go of them and, and dropping them. You know, and, um, you know, I mean, I, I know, uh, you know, it was expressed to me by other people, you know, I, I hope she won't be forgotten. You know, and, and it was interesting that that was one of my motivators for putting together this, this memorial website with my two kids 10 years later was, you know, oh, you know, now that we've got 10 years of dealing with this and finding, if not sense, at least meaning, you know, that we're at least in a place where we're well enough to honor her without feeling a need to, to, you know, go on and on about how hard it was to lose her. And, you know, how it just, it, you know, it seems so unjust that somebody that young should pass away. Uh, and so I think, you know, it very much like a, a pearl accruing around a grain of sand in an oyster, so that this meaning in some sense is, is emergent. It's, it's not so much a property of the, the passing of the person or the grief, but it's an emergent new thing. In some ways, just like a, a child emerges from conception, you know, it, it emerges from that journey and, and becomes uh, a new part of your relationship with that person that then you can use to express uh, who they are and who they were to you and who you are as a result of having known them. And so I, I like to think that this, this little um, uh, memorial that we put together is, a, um, uh, is an expression of that, you know, it's, it, it is a discussion or expression of all that she was to us and what a good thing that was and therefore what a good thing it still is because it still has that meaning to us. Mm, that's beautiful. I mean, I think that's so, that's so healthy to look at, um, you know, the relationship uh, still there, uh, different, but still important. And, you know, I, I find it when, you, when you're talking, I was thinking about, you um, you know, grief, I mean, a lot of people think grief is an enemy. Mm. And, you know, actually, Scripture doesn't say grief is an enemy at all. The only enemy is death and it's defeated. Mm. Um, but, you know, I always say to people, and it kind of, you know, puts them back sometimes, I said, you know, like, don't look at grief as an enemy. Grief, look at it as a friend because the grief is a result of somebody you love. So how can it be that yeah. bad? If they're in the, they're, it's because of them that, that you're grieving. Exactly. That grief is proof they haven't just disappeared out of your life. They're still there in a really substantial way. Exactly. And so, I mean, if you experience that then as, you know, uh, grief, obviously grief coming back, you know, what they call them, grief bursts or whatever, uh, you know, like you mentioned uh, how, uh, you know, specific kind of mysterious events have come into your life, uh, you know, uh, but have you experienced also this kind of this, this grief coming back through your memories, through your stories, through your interactions and, and how, yeah, how is that kind of played out? Yeah, and, and certainly that is the case, you know, um, but it's sort of interesting because, um, you know, you just kind of walk it along and, and uh, you know, it's, I mean, grief and PTSD probably have a lot in common, um, especially when it's grief somebody who is part of you, you know, like your spouse, um, that that loss changes you. Uh, and what happens is that the relationship um, you know, sometimes manifests a little bit like phantom limb pain can, you know, um, but it, it, for me, that manifestation is often being like waves, you know, and so I'll just be walking along and I'll be hit by this wave of 
of grief or just like I see everything at once, you know, uh, I see all the memory, I see all the, the meaning, I see all the, you know, uh, I see all the connections and it just slams me down and it's gone. You know, so it's like you're walking you know, along the ocean, a big wave comes and knocks you over, and then the wave is gone. You can just get up and keep going. And so that's been one of the most common experiences for me. I'll just something will trigger a whole lot of memories all at once. And it'll just, you know, it's whoa. And then it's by me. Um, so that's my most common experience. But it's also the case that there are a lot of times where I just feel like deeply sentimental. And that is is quite often when I've opened myself to that by you know going through memories, going through photos, um, having a conversation with somebody. You know, and just, um, you know, allowing myself to be open to to memories and specific events and things. And, you know, then, you know, get the Kleenex out, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> and certainly uh, one of the things that I found uh, about this grief is it opened me up to a lot of emotions that we are taught, especially as men that we're not to experience. Um, you know, and, and so I'm certain I've cried orders of magnitude more tears in the last 10 years than in my first 47. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that let's, let's pick up on that point because I mean, uh, you know, kind of identify with you here a little bit, Reg. I mean, um, you know, uh, there's so much that changes us in, in the grief journey or that can change us, I should say, because mm-hmm. I think some people, uh, you know, tend to run away from it or try to run away yeah. from it. And, but if you enter into it uh, in a healthy way, you know, you could be changed the meaning making that you're talking about. Uh, you mentioned, you know, it's good to express yourself. What uh, what other things, you know, would you say that the journey of 10 years has taught you or made you look at life differently or anything or anything there that, you know? Well, you know, it's, uh, I, my answer isn't going to be exactly to your question because something occurred to me that's relevant to what you're talking about, though. And that is my, my relationship with my two kids. Okay. Um, because what happened, um, uh, I know a lot of people don't survive the death of their spouses. And I think if I didn't have my two kids, I would have been one of them. In fact, I'll just start with a brief anecdote that uh, sometime within a few months after my wife passed away, I felt the presence. uh, I felt a a sweet presence. It wasn't my wife, but it was like death saying, you can come along now if you want. I'll take you now. You know, and and I had to make a choice and I made the choice to stay alive. You know, like I wouldn't have had to do anything. I would have just been taken, you know, but I made the choice to stay alive because I'd already made that commitment to my kids. Um, and so it was like nothing had happened, but that uh, I told my kids shortly after the mom passed away, I said, you guys know I would die for you, but right now you need me to live for you. So that's my commitment to you as until you've each moved on to the next stage of your life, you know, got married, taken vows or, or something else to finish you, whatever, you know, um, that I'm going to be here for you, you know, and you know that you can rely on me. And, and so I took the very explicit journey of basically um, for lack of a better term, carrying them through the valley of the shadow of death, except for my valley of shadow of death, it was like crawling on my belly through broken glass. You know, um, it, it felt like what I was doing is carrying my kids on my back as I did that. And it's really interesting because now as I talk to them 10 years later, in some ways, I spared them temporarily experience of grief until they were ready for it. And now they're finally ready for it. And so they're actually going through it in some ways now as, as adults, 28 and 30 year olds, that they weren't mature enough to back then when I was basically carrying them through it. And so that, you know, you, you see stories of what they're doing and, and they're, they're like little kids playing, you know, in a, a disaster zone with no idea what's happening around them because they knew they were safe. Um, you know, and, uh, and so they've had that 10 years and now we've put together this memorial and they've had a chance to really start thinking about facing it and start really digesting it and internalizing it themselves. Now that they've had a chance to get safely away from the blast zone, you know? And so that 
you know, and I say blast zone figuratively, of course, but that, that um, uh, you know, that for me was a really big part of that whole journey then was to, to help my kids through it at whatever it cost me. And yet also knowing that if I did survive that, which I seem to have, that I would be stronger and better for having done so. Hmm. What was it like for you and your kids to come up to the 10th anniversary? Was there, I mean, yeah. You know, it was, it's interesting because uh, we each processed it so differently. Uh, and, and part of that is um, to my son, um, he, his relationship with his mom was so close uh, that then when his sister got married, he basically, those are the two key people other than me in his life. Those are the two key female influences. And so he had a lot of issues to deal with and he had to go to counseling, all kinds of stuff to kind of face those down. Um, and that's a journey he's, he's very deliberately taken. Um, and it was, it was funny because it was unexpected because it wasn't right away after she passed away. It really started manifesting over a year later when his sister got married, because yeah. then suddenly, you know, the other leg was kind of kicked out, you know, and, um, and so he's been on that journey for 10 years now, and he's basically getting to a place where he's, he's strong, he's healthy, he's you know building his future. Um, and as a result, he's finally able to really, like I say, experience that grief. And so he's telling that to his sister and me, it's like, you know, it feels like I'm experiencing this for the first time. You know, now his sister, on the other hand, had her own grief happen, uh, she, uh, I think, June 14th. Uh, 2020, uh, when her second child, a daughter, passed away the day she was born. And and that has been an absolutely definitive experience in her life, uh, and one that is, is permanently part of who she is. And so her experience of grief is very different because of that. And so she drew this beautiful picture of her, of her mom holding her daughter with her um, and the bed beside them. And of course, she's the only one still in this life. You know, and so it was just this uh, this amazing expression of that. And so you go to their place and they've got a little corner for their daughter. You know, they, got little, they were able to get pictures with her, you know, uh, even though she was deceased and, and they got all these special ways they keep, continue to include her in their lives. But then that wove into her grief of her mother, you know, because now the two of them are together, you know, and so she has a very different visceral experience of that. Um, and so that as she mourns her mother, it's, it's one with mourning her daughter, you know? Um, and so at the same time, you know, digging through all these old photos and finding a creative way, expressing it. And she really took the lead in putting together the, the uh, memorial, um, you know, and, and she's a very creative person. So this was a real chance for her to, to really process it in new ways. And, and for that reason, also, it's for her, like dealing with it for the first time in so many ways, because now she's far enough away from it that she can get that objective view and really begin to, to face the fullness of what happened and, and what consequently occurred and how our lives changed as a, as a result of that. Mm, how was, I'm, I'm really curious. I mean, it's wonderful. Your, your kids, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, kids are changed. Mm -hmm. It's so hard for them to have not have a mom in their life with different events yeah. in their life. And, and uh, sounds like your kids are doing really well. And, and it seems like you're very proud of them. Yeah. I'm wondering if, um, you know, you put this memorial together, but of course, grief has never lived out in isolation. I mean, all mm -hmm. kinds of people were impacted by Monica's passing. Yes. How was it for everybody else to, um, you know, see this memorial honoring your your wife? What was it like for them? And, and was was it was it helpful? Was it bring back lots of stuff they didn't watch? You know, what was that like? It's really interesting. Um, you know, the, the, the whole experience was, was a fraught experience because of the fact 
that uh, she passed away uh, due you know, to, to basically um, uh, depression and mental health issues. And so the circumstances surrounding that are so much harder to process than if it was just a simplistic disease. You know, forgive me for saying so, but like cancer, cancer is a horrible, awful disease and it, it eats you alive, but it's always the enemy. Right. The enemy is always other than yourself. Right. You know, but what, when, when uh, mental illness and, and depression attack, the enemy is so tightly lodged inside your consciousness that you can't tease them apart, you know? And so then as a result, all those affected by it, passing the results from that uh, have the same issue with trying to tease apart the cause of the person and, and those who are trying to support, you know, and you know, the, there, there is no making sense uh, of that stuff, you know, and, and as a result, when we try to make sense of it, we always make the wrong sense of it. You know, and and so there's sort of that that um, that reserve that stays as part of the relationship with everybody when that person is brought up, even if that person was beloved, and and that never changed. You know, just because we don't have a mechanism for dealing with that, and there's so many things we don't have a mechanism for dealing with in society. Another one is dealing with somebody who's being widowed and still alive. You know, and, uh, that's a separate conversation. Suppose, but <laughs> that um, that the having then put together the memorial ten years later, um, you know, people are responding to it entirely positively but with a lot of reserve and it's really interesting the people who are the most effusive about it by a larger people who never met her and are just so delighted to get to know her through this memorial you know and they're just really pleased with how respectful and, and complete it is but i think for people who are still wounded about the way she passed away um that you know there's there's always going to be that you know that that grief that comes with even looking at it because it's it's an unresolved ending you know it and it was sudden, you know, and, uh, and, you know, at the same time, I see as a Catholic, it was a grace that she was in the hospital for three days, you know, and that she had that wonderful vision of her friend, you know, we had a chance to pray with her and for her. She wasn't aware that we were doing that, except that the hospital telemetry machines or whatever, you know, all the, the, we would, the kids would sing to her and the machines would go beep, beep, beep like that, even though she had no uh, neural functioning left. She didn't even have reflexes left. Uh, you know, for to blink somehow those machines, the measurements went crazy when, when things like the kids would sing to her, uh, you know, and so there's this, this, this sense that there was something of her there. And there was three days of that, you know, and three days is a pretty profound number for a lot of reasons, you know, and for us, it was, it was uh, that, that transition to her new life, um, you know, and so uh, that said, you know, it, I think people have been really, really careful what they submit to this, we, we open it up for, you know, we, we only made the link available to close friends and family, you know, yeah. uh, even to look at it. And we open it up for them to add stuff during the, the, the month of February. But so far, only two people other than my kids and I have done so, you know, and interestingly, some people instead, we published the link on Facebook to friends only, responded on Facebook, but didn't add to the, the link, you know, because people are, again, the, people have no idea what to do about it when somebody dies of something they don't understand. Yeah. You know, and so it makes it so much harder. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think what you did was uh, in doing the memorial was you honored your you honored Monica. You gave her uh, a place in your life, a, a gate where she deserves to be, and uh, I think that is so healthy, Reg. I mean, I encourage people to do that. Um, you know, in their own life, um, I think it's a great example to be able to put something together because you know we need to talk, we need to share, we need to remember um, intentionally. Intentionally, you know, um, and I think these anniversaries are significant. Um, I have one uh, kind of closing question for you. Um, what do you What do you miss about Monica? You're gonna make me cry. Um, 
the first thing that comes to mind is her laugh. She had a really unique laugh. Um, and, and her sense of humor, you never knew when she was going to laugh. <laughs> um, you know, she would, she would laugh about the most unexpected things because her view of the universe was such that when, when, when things were incongruous to her view of the universe, she would just find it delightfully funny and just laugh right out of the blue. And, go, and so there's a picture in our, our wedding album from our honeymoon where we stopped, uh, we, we drove out to uh, Vancouver Island from Calgary and uh, uh, we stopped in Golden uh, at, I think, Dairy Queen for lunch. And uh, she went into Dairy Queen to get food. And I was just in the car and I was exhausted. So I was like a sleeping, you know, and <laughs> right next to us, there was a car with the dog doing exactly the same thing. And so she took a picture of both and she just thought it was so funny. She was jumping up and down laughing. So <laughs> um, you know, and, and so I think her sense of humor and her laugh is the, the big one. Um, but then, of course, just all the, uh, you know, I mean, the, the aspects of who she was, you know, the, um, her physical presence in every different way, you know, um, that is something you just never quite get over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How we call your kids? Do you have a you have a grandchild now as well? I do. Yeah, well, I've, I've got one on Earth and one in heaven, of course. Uh, I have a, a grandson uh, who is uh, going to be five in April, and then a granddaughter whose second anniversary of her birth and passing will be in June. Um, and interestingly, I also have a three-year-old son. Um, from a, uh, a marriage that unfortunately did not last as well as my first one. Okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, apparently that's a very typical thing for people who are widowed to experiences that they get married and it doesn't work out, you know? And uh, um, so I, I certainly didn't see that coming, but the good news is I have full shared custody of him as well. And, and he's very much part of, of the whole family. In fact, it's kind of neat. Uh, even today uh, I'll pick him up from daycare and then he and I are going to go visit my daughter and her family. And uh, so my, my little three-year-old son and my little four-year-old grandson, they're, they're almost the same height as each other right now, just because, you know, uh, quirks of, of growth spurts and such. But, you know, they, they, they're interacting more and more. And they have fun together. And so we just have supper together and, and play together. And, uh, and so that's sort of a really nice healing thing. My, my son in Calgary came out to visit us here in the Langley area. Uh, a couple times recently, uh, once when I graduated with my master's degree from Trinity Western this past fall, and then again over Christmas. And so he got to hang out with uh, his his two little buddies, his, his brother and his nephew. And uh, that's kind of fun because they're like the single under 30 group, you know, <laughs> and then the rest of us are the married over 30, you know, married with kids <laughs> over 30 group, you know. And, and so it's kind of fun to see the, the three guys ranging in age from three to 28, you know, just hanging out together and having a great time. Uh, and so, you know, that's, I think that's that's a, a good, hopeful circumstance to be in. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I think, you know, it sounds to me that, uh, you know, those those two little ones there are going to get to know uh, Monica. You'll continue to share the story and your daughter will continue to share the story yeah. with her mom and, and uh and the life will uh, the life will go on, but the person who's touched will you know, remain forever, and uh, that's really good. Well, um, I know there's so much more we could talk about, but uh, oh yeah, I, I I try to keep these podcasts to uh, uh, you know to, to a reasonable amount of time, so my listeners <laughs> keep on listening. Yeah, uh, fair uh, enough. But, but uh, thank you so much. Really appreciate your insights and. Uh, into into the grief as a as a widower and uh, i'm sure that you know we'll keep connected here and maybe another time have another chance to share a little bit about because there's so much so much depth to what you've been talking about here that we barely touched the touched well let me let me suggest the topic the next time we record one is the experience the social experience of being widowed because that by itself is a completely separate thing from the person you've missed 
uh, and nobody knows how to deal with people who've been widowed. So, but we can save that for our next conversation. We could, we could, we could do that one together, for sure. Yes, it's, it's a tough. You know, it's. I don't think people understand how difficult it is uh, as a, a widower. You know, to be all of a sudden like I don't know about you, but I had a really hard time taking off my 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 wedding ring. Uh, I yes, I didn't know who I was. You know, I, what I should be and. That transition was not an easy one. So maybe we will talk about that sometime. That would be really good. Sounds good to me. Okay, well, thanks again. And for those people who have listened on today on the podcast, it was great to be together. And I just encourage you to pass on these podcasts to others. I think Red has given us a lot of insight and also a lot of hope that life will continue as we continue to honor those who we love and always will. So take care. And next time, we'll see you on It's All About the Story. Thanks for joining us today on It's All About the Story, Grief Stories That Connect Us. We hope this podcast was encouraging to you. There are so many different types of loss. Why not take time to listen to some of the other unique stories in this podcast series? Feel free to share them with family, friends, neighbors. If you'd like to receive notifications about the next episode in the series, please subscribe and we'll make sure you don't miss out. We hope that you'll be joining us again on It's All About the Story, Grief Stories That Connect Us with host Rick Berg. Take good care.